Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We start today with the Salem Hospital. With 644 beds, it's the largest hospital in Oregon with the busiest emergency department in the Northwest. The years-long COVID emergency for hospitals is over, but between staffing and safety, it remains a challenging time in healthcare. Cheryl Nestor-Wolf is the president and CEO of Salem Health Hospitals and Clinics. She joins us now. Welcome to Think Out Loud. Thanks, Dave. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. How would you describe the role that Salem Health plays in the region? Uh, Well, we, um, as you indicated, we have the largest single hospital in Oregon with 644 beds. Uh, We have a 25-bed small hospital in the neighboring Polk County, so we service that community, um, along with uh, multiple clinics, urgent cares um, that service both um, Marion and Polk County, about a half a million people that we take care of. Uh, the vast majority of those those patients because we offer uh, extensive services here. And then we're also a trauma two uh, designated uh, trauma center. And so again, we see patients from all over this part of the state to the coast uh, taking care of those patients. So pretty large geography and a large number of people for a single uh, large hospital to take care of. So again, just just uh, a large population, one large hospital that we service the vast majority of the needs of the communities. One hospital for a large area, and that's how you get the, the really remarkable stat that it's the busiest ER in the Northwest, busier than hospitals in Seattle or Portland? Uh, yes. And so where you have multiple hospitals, they have a larger population. So if you look at total number of visits in all those hospitals, they certainly have more visits than we do. But as a single hospital, uh, we're taking care of roughly a, a half a million uh, people uh, and see over 100,000 visits a year in our, in our one emergency room. That's correct. What was staffing like before the pandemic? I mean, if we had talked in uh, in, in 2019, would you have said everything is fine? Uh, no, I wouldn't have said everything was fine. I, I think the pandemic clouded the fact that we were in a shortage before the pandemic occurred. Many of the baby boomers are retiring Um, That was a phenomenal going on beforehand. Uh, We were uh, actively recruiting and hiring staff. uh, And but the the biggest difference that we saw between um, that 2019 to 2021 and into 23 is the number of contract staff that we had to bring in because of the increase and the number of people that we were seeing that were in the hospital uh, during that time and just trying to keep up with that to make sure we could take care of our community. So the big difference, no contract labor in 2019, um, 320 contract, this is for nurses, registered nurses uh, throughout the pandemic. And currently we're at about 100 
uh, as we have been able to mitigate and continue to hire people to fill our positions. So you still have 100 contract, meaning not on staff, but say traveling nurses or people who have are hired for some short period of time. You still have 100, whereas you had zero uh, before the pandemic. That's right. And in between, 320 was our maximum number that we had. Um, and again, partially because of the shortage that was already there. Um, the second uh, piece is just the increase in the number of patients and the capacity issues that we experienced uh, specifically the last two years during all the surges we had and then um, uh, problems getting patients out of the hospital to a safe level of care. So we were holding a lot more patients. So we needed to take care of them because they were with us. So that 320 traveling nurse number has now, uh, we've been able to hire and to move ourselves to about 100. Our goal is still to be back at zero. Hmm. To do that, will it mean hiring more full-time staff nurses? Uh, yes, and uh, full-time, part-time. Um, also, um, you know, nurses, like everybody else, have their particular lifestyles and how they uh, choose to work. So it's both. 100 is really what we call a full-time equivalent, so that it is a full-time person. But you may have hired two people to that want to work part-time to fill one of those full-time positions. Um, so in 2022, as an example, we hired over in total for our organization of about 5,000 people. Uh, we hired 1,100, and 300 of those were nurses that we hired. Wait, last uh, year you, you had mm -hmm. 5,000 total employees uh, in, in the entire health system, and one out of five of them were hired in a single year? That's correct. Yeah. Again, that attrition that happened. Um, you know, the disruption of COVID to people's lives, having to stay home with their children more, um, uh, early retirement people that maybe weren't planning on retiring. We actually saw a huge increase in retirements in 2021. And um, so that gap uh, just kept getting larger. So we, we lost essentially it's lost. And also then what you're making up for in terms of the increased busyness. Um, that you have and the number of people you're taking care of, we had to uh, we had to really hire to that level a higher level than we'd ever had to hire before. But 1,100 people, so yes, one in five. I just I imagine the HR department running around like I don't know like like cartoon animals. <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty impressive, quite frankly, that my HR team was able to really hone in on what the critical needs are. We developed lots of different ways to bring people into the organization. And um, we tried to, um, to really focus our HR staff on what we consider to be the most critical patient care um, positions so that we could really expedite and get people through. But yes, they, they have, they've been an incredible asset. I mean, I think people forget in a hospital, you think about nurses and doctors and obviously incredibly important, um, but all of our support team uh, we're equally as stressed uh, in physical therapists and pulmonary yep. people and yep. people who are coming to clean rooms and cook yep. food and do everything. That's right. Supply I'm wondering yeah. how you maintain the culture of an organization when there is that much turnover. 
Yeah, it's pretty, uh, again, I think pretty impressive. We have, um, uh, we have a particular approach to the culture uh, and we use, uh, not to bog you down too much in this, but we use the lean management system in our organization and how we think and how we work on our culture. So it's a constant, um, it's constantly being reinforced. Our staff are very participative. Uh, we worked with all of our contract staff coming in to make sure they understood the culture and the expectations. And But yes, it was an all hands on deck to maintain the culture. It actually, I would say we've even improved the culture uh, as we normally did uh, before the pandemic. So the, the culture keeps improving here. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Cheryl Nestor-Wolf, the president and CEO of Salem Health Hospitals and Clinics. It's one thing to get closer to uh, a sustainable staffing level, but how are you thinking about actually retaining those employees so you don't have to go through all this again next year? Um, actually, I would say, again, um, we're very deliberate about that. Obviously, it's very important to keep your staff during the pandemic with all the downturn in hospital finances and even, of course, what we're dealing with today. We made a decision or I made a decision that we would not lay anybody off. Uh, so we absorb the reduction in revenue and the expense of staff and kept our great staff with us. Um, throughout the um, the entire uh, pandemic and again till today. So we haven't laid anybody off during this entire period of time. Um, we worked very hard with our staff before the pandemic on resiliency. It's a big problem in uh, healthcare in particular in terms of um, just the continuous uh, trauma of working with really sick people and what that creates. So a lot of work to really strengthen people's ability to be resilient. Um, and that really got us pretty far through the pandemic. What we experienced though about halfway through uh, those uh, two years is that we needed to do more. So we added resiliency advocates to each of our teams and what those individuals do is they become part of that team. They don't do patient care, they do staff care. So they're there to help the staff. They're there to hear about the concerns. They're just part of the team, but their particular role is to make sure that we're taking great care of our people. Again, extending um, their resiliency and obviously their ability to, to serve and continue with their, their passion with patient care. Um, and so that's one of the newer things that we put in a couple of years ago that's been really helpful. Uh, and the other thing that people don't talk a lot about in our industry is the the, um, uh, the harmful words and actions that people um, that you know that um, patients or visitors may enact on our staff and how debilitating that is for our staff over time. And so we launched an initiative about a year ago of how we're going to handle any of those situations and working with our staff to create those systems of support and give them the right tools to take care of these issues when they arise in their departments. So that's just two examples, but yes, retention um, is top of mind because it doesn't do you a lot of good to just have a revolving door um, of staff from a culture of care 
perspective, and it's just not the right thing to do. You mentioned harmful words and actions. I, I have to ask you about um, a, a very high-profile incident that happened recently in terms of employee safety. As many of our listeners are probably aware of at this point, a security guard was shot and killed at Legacy Good Samaritan Medical Center in Portland recently. Another employee was shot and, according to the hospital, is recovering. What went through your mind when you heard about that? Uh, complete horror, um, sadness. Um, you know, I, I have to say our hearts go out to the Legacy uh, family. Uh, we made that that message out to our staff immediately. And we have been doing a lot of work because we are seeing more violence. It's just a reality of what we're seeing uh, and much more than what we saw before the pandemic. But we've been doing a lot of work, whether it's technology or hiring additional people uh, in our security force. Uh, I've met with security this week to kind of check with them about what additional things we should do. We've got a lot of work we're continuing to do and got some great suggestions from them on things that they believe would make them safer and our staff and patients safer. So just continuing uh, the great work we've already started, but also just making sure that we've heard from the people that are actually doing the work about what they think would improve our, our safety on the campus. But yeah, that's a that's a obviously been a high topic of concern and, and discussion on our campus this week. I want to go through some specifics that I saw. The Oregon Nurses Association put out a statement after the shooting calling for a whole series of safety measures at hospitals, including making sure all patients and visitors go through a metal detector that is staffed at all times, ensuring that there is sufficient security staff for coverage in all areas of hospitals, as well as a zero tolerance policy when people make threats. Is all of that currently in place in your facilities? Uh, so we have a metal detector that uh, we use. Again, we have this 100,000 people coming through our emergency room every year. So it is staffed uh, and manned. We don't have any gaps uh, in that. Uh, and so we do that 24-7 on the night shift. Everybody goes through that same entrance in order to gain access to any of our buildings and uh, so everybody goes through that screening. And what we're looking at now is what else do we need to do to make, because, you know, like a, like a lot of organizations, our hospitals, our buildings are separate. They're not, it's not one building. And so how else do we make, uh, make it safe for patients and visitors? And so that's one of the measures. Uh, yes, in fact, we do have the metal detector and we are thinking about whether or not uh, what what else we do to, to do what the security people call harden the environment and make sure uh, it, it could be as, as much as making everybody go through that system, regardless of what building they're going to. So I have a team working on that right now. Hmm. Um, turning back to questions of, of staffing, what would the new nurse staffing law, which, which mandates minimum nurse-patient staffing ratios, mean for you if the governor does sign it? Um, so from my perspective, we um, we are part of the hospital association. Uh, we were at the table uh, with uh, labor, not just the ONA, because this was a labor initiative 
discussing how we would implement this and we supported the legislation. So we know it's on the governor's desk now and um, certainly are waiting um, for her signature on that. Our In our hospital in particular, assessing the impact, and again, it's a hospital staffing bill, it's not just a nursing staffing bill. Uh, we believe that, um, that we have a little, we have some additional work to do to have additional staffing, especially around meals and breaks, but that by and large, we already meet those ratios, those nursing mandated ratios uh, for the majority of our units. So there's some work there, but we're, we're, we individually as an organization, I'm not speaking for all the hospitals in Oregon, we feel like we're in pretty good shape. Um, we have a very highly high functioning nurse staffing committee that's been in place for a long time. And, um, you know, part of the work is to establish these other committees for the other staff in the organization and go through that process that we've been doing with nursing for a long time. But overall, uh, it'll add some hiring needs to our organization. But overall, uh, we are in um, pretty good shape for this initiation. So we were supportive of it and will uh, feel very confident that we'll be in compliance with the law. Cheryl Nestor-Wolf, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day, Dave. You too. Cheryl Nestor-Wolf is the president and CEO of Salem Health Hospitals and Clinics. Members make Think Out Loud and all of OPB's independent journalism possible. Support the next fascinating story and join in as a sustainer at opb.org pod.